0: And with a prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all together in spite of uh, the little rain shower that we had earlier. We ask your blessing on our efforts today. Help us to open our minds and our hearts to a new subject. And one that is a little uh, different from what we've had in the past, but one that is so important to the basics of our faith. So we ask that you help us to open our minds and our hearts to hear uh, what you want us to hear and what you have to say through Holy Scripture. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. Even though we call this a Bible study program, uh, this time is going to be a little different. You will be using your Bibles probably more than you have in the past, uh, but the subject, of course, is not as it was in other sessions of this program. Uh, we used to take a given uh, Bible or given book of the Bible and study that uh, along with passages from other parts of the Bible. This time we're going to be relying entirely on the Bible as well as what I can add to that. But then in, not today's session, but in later sessions, we will have a few videos which we have not had before. And those will all be produced by uh, the author of the book, Scott Hahn, and the St. Paul... Um, I forgot, St. Paul's... Well, it's a a program that he's developed. Anyways, this is the book that sort of started this whole program. Uh, After our last session, you know, I asked the people what they would like to study, and there were a lot of good suggestions. But then uh, one lady uh, emailed me and said that Scott Hahn had written this book, and she found it very interesting and could I'd elaborate on it. So I thought, oh, well, I will, you know, summer reading and all of that. Uh, so I picked up the book, and it was like the Lord saying to me, this is what I want you to teach. So I thought, oh, well, eh. <laughs> a little different than what I've been in, accustomed to, but I'll give it a go, Okay and i found it extremely interesting now many people have a devotion to mary but if you question them as to why they might be a little reluctant to give a good solid answer you know oh because mary is the mother of uh, jesus and uh you know there there would be other nice little phrases but to give any theological or biblical explanation of why Mary is important to her or to anyone, uh, it would be somewhat difficult. In fact, um, Scott Hahn says, and I'll be reading occasionally from this book here, says, I wish especially to address fellow Roman Catholics Because many of us need to rediscover our mother, discover her for the first time, or perhaps see her with new eyes. For even those who remain faithful to the mother of God can sometimes do so in a needlessly defensive way, defiantly standing by their mother, even though they can make little scriptural sense of their devotions. They cling to a handful of passages from the New Testament as a sort of last Marian resort. But these good Catholics, though they do revere their mother, don't fully understand her significance in the divine plan of salvation. Now that might be a little heavy for some of you to kind of grasp. But what it is really saying, as I said earlier, uh, that many people have this great devotion to Mary, but they can't explain why. And unfortunately, many of our non-Catholic Christian uh, friends uh, have just the opposite feeling. They feel that we go overboard uh, with our devotion to Mary and they can't explain why they don't have any devotion to Mary and sometimes will ignore her. I heard, now I can't not prove it because I couldn't find a copy, but there was a book out called Women in the Bible uh, that was on the bestseller list oh, a year or two back. And I understand that Mary is not mentioned in there. Now I can't verify that because I went to three bookstores and couldn't find a copy. So, uh, couldn't have been that good. Okay. But it's important that we understand our devotion to Mary in terms of the Bible. And that is what we're going to try to get across in this class today. All right. Now, he mentions here God's plan of salvation. I want to read uh, another portion of this, excuse me, of this uh, book. It says here, to understand the mother of God, we must begin with God. Well, that sounds logical. All Mariology, all Marian devotion must begin with a solid theological and firm creedal faith. For all that Mary does and all that she is flows from her relationship with God and her correspondence to his divine plan. She is his mother. She is also his spouse. She is his daughter. And she is his handmaid. We cannot begin to know her if we do not first have clear notions about him, that is, God, about God, his providence and his dealings with his people. Now, that's all summed up in God's plan of salvation. But the thing is, he doesn't explain what God's plan of salvation is in this book. And so it leaves you with a little bit of, you know, did I miss the point or whatever. So what I'm trying to do is I've taken this book and I've sort of, hopefully, uh, developed some lessons that will give you the background of what we are going to be talking about. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in later classes we will have some DVDs produced by Scott Hahn and his organization. But after looking at them, I feel that the presenter, it is not Scott Hahn himself, at the presenter, he speaks a little too fast, and he doesn't really give you the background. And so that's why, or that's what I am going to try to do, is to give you the background so that when you see the video, you will have a better understanding of what he's talking about. Now, there's some beautiful pictures in there. There's some nice music in there. There's a lot of statuary in there. The content, I think, is missing a lot. Unfortunately, I hate to say it that way. And I'm not putting it down because it is worth a lot, um, but it needs a little uh, rounding out. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. Today we're going to cover three main subjects. Creation, the fall of mankind, and God's plan of salvation, so that you understand what we're talking about when we talk about his divine plan. How many of you have heard of an in-depth explanation of what God's plan of salvation is. For those of you who have been in my classes, uh, in previous years, you're probably saying, oh, here we go again. (laughs) So, uh, I'm just saying, be patient. It doesn't hurt to review the subject matter. You know, Uh, but hopefully for those of you who haven't uh, been in these classes on a, long-term basis, such as these ladies up here. uh, Feel free to ask questions. If you don't understand, you know, it's important that you not leave here until you do understand. That's what this is all about. I like to have questions. It adds to the overall enjoyment of the class, and makes it interesting. The only condition that I put on it is that this question has to be in line with the subject that we're talking about. If you have questions on other matters, pull them to the end of the class or after the class, and I'll be glad to help answer if I can. But while we are meeting, in general, in the class, Please hold your questions to the subject that we are talking about, but feel free. Raise your hand, you know, we'll call on you and see what we can do to answer your question. Okay? Good enough? All right. Any questions to begin with? There are a few administrative matters that I'd like to... Yes, Renato? Renato? The title of the book is Hail, Holy Queen. Hail, Holy Queen by Scott Hahn. I'll leave it up here to have you look at uh, later if you wish. You You can get it virtually anywhere. Um, uh, Esther's, uh, the Easter Sisters book uh, has one. It's on Amazon, you know, so you can buy that virtually uh, in many stores. Okay. I don't know if uh, Borders has it or not. I didn't check there. Okay. But I do know Amazon has it and uh, Easter's has it and so forth. Okay. Any other questions? All right. All right. <coughs> I think I've covered a lot of the introduction, but um, a few things here. Um, All of these lectures are recorded. And they are transcribed onto CDs. The CDs are available if you wish. They are... uh, Available if you record or request it on this little uh, handout out here. And they will be in here the following week. The cost is $3 each. Uh, Many people who have been with these classes uh, will order all 10 of them uh, at one time. But that's not necessary if you uh, are concerned about it. Um, The timing, again, I understand that the announcement from the pulpit on Saturday evening was that this uh, meeting starts at 9 o'clock. No, it's at 9.30, from 9.30 to 1 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. I don't know if I could last that long. (laughs) 9.30 9.30 to 11. All right. We try to start on time. So if anyone's late, you're going to get caught. If you have to leave early, don't feel embarrassed. Uh, that has happened before. Uh, so don't worry about it. Just do what you have to do. Okay. But we try to end at 11 o'clock sharp or even a little earlier. Seldom do we go over, but it's possible. Okay. Uh, the laboratories are the men is out this door the women is out this door and down the hall a little bit Okay. I think we've covered uh, the administrative matters so let's get into the subject of today's <coughs> we want to start with creation, good place to start with, okay um In the beginning, so to speak, Um, said God would not need a plan of salvation if it were not for creation, because before creation, before God really, you know, created mankind and the sun and moon and stars and earth and so forth and so on, everything was perfect, so he didn't need it. But there is one thing that God does need. Since God is perfect love. Love needs to be shared. And therefore God in this infinite love. And we're going to talk about love. And of course not in the theatrical side. Hollywood kind you know. We're talking about God's divine love. Which is so great. That he wanted to share that with someone else. And so that's why he created mankind. But he had to create some place for mankind. So that's where the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the other things that came along. But mankind is God's crowning glory of his creation. And his divine love is so great that he would go to any extreme to make sure that his creation understood and received his love. And his hope was that mankind would love him in return and love each other. Most important, love has got to be given, and shared, or it dies. It cannot be bottled up. So, you've got to think about love in the terms of something moving. Like, for example, alternating electricity. If electricity is cut off in the midst of its travels then what do you get? A lot of sparks and problems, okay? And the refrigerator goes off or the television goes off or whatever. Uh, and everything stops. Love must be shared and moved. Otherwise, it dies. Even in human beings, if we bottle ourselves up and do not communicate, do not Involve ourselves with other people. We become kind of shriveled up, uh, individuals and eventually our mind and our heart as well as our body dies. So love must be shared and that is the essence of God's creation. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, a lot of this is shown in the book of Genesis. And goes into much detail about the creation of mankind. But the important thing that I want to have you think about is God's creation of woman. God created, you know, the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the vegetation that was necessary to support mankind. And then he creates mankind, or man, Adam. But then he recognizes that Adam is lonely. Adam cannot find a suitable uh, living partner up until that point in time. And so God creates woman. And that is where we connect the idea of woman as being the complement to mankind. (coughs) Not only in human beings, but in animal and plant life the same way. Now, that works importantly into our subject of Mary's role as we get further into it. And we will talk a little bit more of that about that later. <laughs> Excuse me. I want to read some of this because there's detail in here that I feel is important. <clears throat> so in other words... Creation is not complete without both man and woman. And this is uh, followed through God's creation that made male and female need each other for completion and procreation. And so we have this codependency from uh, from the very beginning, not only in human beings, but in plant and animal life as well. In addition, there is... One thing God gave to mankind that he did not give to other forms of creation and that is excuse me, <clears throat> and that is free will this divine gift raised mankind to a new level of human beings to love him and enjoy his divine love and his presence And he wanted mankind to reciprocate by giving their love in a voluntary manner, not only back to God, but to each other. This was demonstrated by making mankind in the image and likeness of God. Now, because God is divine and pure spirit, he has no image as we think of him. This image and likeness takes the form of being able to walk upright, talk to each other, as well as to God, to think, to reason, and most of all, to love, or to withhold love, which is sin. In other words, he gave us the ability to make decisions or choices. But those decisions have consequences, and we have to accept them. So the whole idea of creation is important to our subject uh, of Mary's role in God's plan of salvation. and We'll get into that in a few minutes. Now, going forward, mankind is not perfect. God made mankind and he could have done something different, but he made us as we are. All right. And he could not make something that was perfect because that would be, he would be making something that was like himself. And that is just not in the cards, so to speak. All right. So everything God made was as close to being perfect as is possible. But this whole idea of free will is important because without free will, we would be like puppets or robots or mannequins, all right? So the gift of free will has its good and bad points. The idea of we have the opportunity to make decisions and to do things, and to withhold things, but we have to understand the balance. God is perfect love, as I said over and over, but God is also perfect justice, which is the other side of the coin, meaning that as life goes on, We have to make choices and decisions. And God has laid out his plan. Which we'll get into in a few minutes. Uh, And he is saying. Here is the way I would like you to live. Here is what I am offering you. And if you follow this. You will recognize and realize happiness. And he has given that to us in the form of, uh, going back to creation again, in the form of uh, choices and boundaries. If we think about the story of creation of Adam and Eve, he put them in this beautiful garden and gave them everything that was necessary for living and for happiness but he had to give them boundaries and so that boundaries took the form of forbidding them to eat from the fruit of the tree. I'm going to explain something a little later uh, about this whole story of Adam and Eve but this is important for the moment. The idea of boundaries is very important because mankind because of free will, needs certain boundaries, certain rules to live by. And if we go beyond that, again, we have to uh, abide by the consequences. All right. Now, the whole idea of Adam and Eve being forbidden to eat from the tree was not a trick, okay? Okay. And it wasn't whether it was an apple or an orange or who cares what difference does it make. Nevertheless, at some point in time, man would sin. And because of God's divine love and his divine nature, sin and mankind or sinful mankind cannot abide with God because God is perfect and cannot uh, accept mankind's relationship directly. Now that might sound a little strange, a little harsh, but that is the rules uh, of divine love, divinity, and humanity. Okay? So... God had to set up some idea, some plan for this to be resolved. This breach that mankind creates through sin has to be resolved. And it has to be resolved because God wants his love to constantly flow. And mankind has put up. A wall now. With Adam and Eve's sin, it separates what was perfect from what is not perfect any longer. And so this had to be separated. And that is signified by the story of Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is an allegory or a metaphor for heaven. Everything prior to sin was perfect as much as it could be for human beings. All right, But with sin coming into the picture, it sets up a breach, a wall between mankind and God. And therefore Adam and Eve had to be expelled from heaven. They could not stay there. All right, because of the laws of divinity. All right, but God didn't just abandon his people, his human uh, creation. It, that, again, is signified by the fact that he made clothes for them. All right, before sin, Adam and Eve were naked. And in biblical Uh, literature in biblical writing of the time period uh, being naked in the front of anyone else was a tremendous problem okay Uh, a great embarrassment even more so than many other things but because mankind was perfect in the eyes of God up until sin being naked didn't make any difference. That's the whole significance of that part of the story. But after sin, mankind realized that he was naked, that he had sinned, and therefore God had to expel him, but God showed him how to make clothing to cover his nakedness. All right. Now, if you think about it for a minute, let's step aside. The book of Genesis was written about 500 years before Christ. That's not too long in terms of biblical time periods, because the other books of the early part of the Old Testament, that is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were written almost a thousand years before that. In other words, a good uh, thousand years before Christ. And so why is this story of Adam and Eve now coming into the picture so late in the time period of the books of the Bible? That is because around the 5th century B.C., the priest Ezra wished to take all of the writings that were developed and to streamline them, you might say, uh, into the form that we have today. But there was no beginning. There was no beginning. And so, he felt that we had to have a story that Showed what the beginning was in order to attach it to the other books that were the part of the Torah, or the Pentateuch of, or the law of the Jewish scriptures. And so he wrote this book that we call Genesis. And the word Genesis comes from the word beginning, the first few words of the opening sentence, in the beginning. All right. Now, where would he get these stories? These stories are so unique, the stories of Adam and Eve and the creation and so forth. They are so different and, as I said, so unique that mankind couldn't have just dreamed them up. Uh, They were... Or they are allegories. So they are not history. They are stories. But think of it this way. In later years, the prophets would often talk about things that would happen in the future. That's where the word prophet comes from, although it does not mean somebody who tells the future. The word prophet means someone who speaks for God. So, if the prophets could be inspired by God to write things that were not fulfilled until the future, we have the reverse in the book of Genesis with the writer who are telling us, who is telling us, things that happened in the past. It's the same kind of inspiration. And that is where the writer gets these stories. He is inspired by God. And you can learn more about God the Father in reading the first 11 chapters of Genesis than you can in all the rest of the Old Testament. And that is because it was so well inspired and well written. And we believe by the priest of Ezra. Now, the book, or all the books of the Bible, all 73 of them, are inspired. But And we call them the Word of God. But the Bible is the Word of God, but not the words of God. The difference is The Bible is written in the language and by, or written by human beings, you might say, in their language. They are inspired, so it is the message that we want to really look at, not the words. The words have been translated into various languages. The words of the Bible were written either in Hebrew or Aramaic, or later in Greek, translated into Latin and many other languages. And so those words get changed so that the reader of different time periods can understand. So it is the message that we are really interested in. And that's what I am saying here is that in the book of Genesis, like the various books of the prophets. It is inspired writings of God through mankind. And they are inspired, the prophets were inspired to write things that didn't happen or weren't fulfilled until the future. In the book of Genesis we have writings of things that happened in the past. But that still belong and are truthful as part of God's plan. Okay. So the fall of mankind required a plan for God to really help this flow of his love continue. Now, there weren't any sacrifices. Uh, there wasn't any understanding of what sin was way back Uh, At the time of Adam and Eve or for centuries later until the time of Abraham and Abraham's covenant. Uh, But I want to talk about covenant next week. Uh, The important thing that we have to talk about today and to get across is the whole subject of God's plan of salvation. Any questions up to this point in time? You're just afraid to ask, that's why. And, yes, Lou? Were there any prophets before Abraham? Any prophets before Abraham? The question is, were there any prophets before Abraham? Not that we know of. No. Noah is the first historical person in the Bible. Historical, somebody that have, we can verify and actually live. Alright. Yes, Dick? Abraham. Noah. No, no. Noah is an allegory or a story. It is not history. So Abraham is the first historical person of the Bible. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, the the story of Noah and Cain and Abel Torah of Babel all come into the Bible in the book of Genesis from those the beginning stories you might say up and precede the uh, story of Abraham Abraham is the first historical person in the Bible. (coughs) Yes, Dick? Many of the stories in Genesis have parallels in other religions. Yes. So are not unique to uh, Christianity. That's right, yes. Many of the stories, and Dick brings up a good point, many of the stories are in the book of Genesis were collected from various places that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, had been in, such as Egypt, uh, Mesopotamia, and and some of those areas. Uh, They brought some of the legends, the stories, etc., and that is what sort of, you might say, inspired uh, not only Ezra, but some of the later writers of the Bible. Okay. But we're getting a little off track here. God's plan of salvation. Where do we begin? Okay. Everything that God does, that God has said, whether it be through Christ or through the prophets, or through uh, other people that God has spoken to, and there are many stories of that. Everything is connected to his plan of salvation. And that is part of what we've been talking about all along, the idea of creation, the fall of mankind, and some way for mankind to get back into the good graces of God. God starts out by developing a relationship with Abraham. Asking Abraham uh, and why Abraham. It is understood and accepted that Abraham was a rare individual to worship only the God of creation. A single God, unseen God, of creation. And God took that as being a very faithful person and developed this relationship with him, made a covenant with him, and asked him to move his family from where he was currently residing. Remember Abraham and all of the people of that time period were nomads, and they would move from place to place in order to find pasture land for their flocks, which was their source of livelihood. So they would move around. Well, God wanted Abraham to move from the land of Ur, which is probably Iran or Iraq in that area, over to Palestine to begin a family. It's important that we understand this idea of family because it will come into play next week in our explanation. All right. But family is very important. So Abraham, even though he and his wife Sarah were in advanced age, were asked to pick up all of their belongings and their family and their cattle, etc., And move to the land of Ur. uh, To the land of Palestine. Which of course we call Israel. And God promised at that time. That he would give Abraham. uh, An heir. A son. And of course that's where we get the little story. Of Sarah hearing this. And saying yeah. Sure at my old age. I'm going to have a child. Uh, But it did happen, which, you know, gives us a little indication that God is going to get his plan of salvation accomplished one way or the other. And it's whether we join him or not, it's going to happen. And that has to be carried forward into our thinking uh, because it affects us as well. We all have a part to play in God's plan of salvation. And some people have more important roles than others. And that's where Mary comes in eventually. All right. Well, I'm giving you a lot of this minutiae detail uh, because it's background to some of the videos and some of the things that Scott Hahn is presenting in his book. Without some of this background, you're going to get lost. And you'll see that next week when you watch one of the videos. Uh, they are well done. They are beautiful. The only thing is, I said, the presenter assumes that you have all this background. And that's why I'm trying to kind of fill you with a lot of this detail stuff. So that when you see this and future videos. Because we'll watch them from time to time. But there will be a discussion um, before and afterwards. Uh, I lost my plan. God's plan of salvation. Alright. His purpose of moving Abraham into Palestine was because he knew that it was through a family that would develop into the nation of Israel that he would be able to speak to a group of people a family that had developed into several hundreds or thousands of people and it would be through them that he would uh, share his love and hopefully they would be um, a model community, a model family who would then share their uh, love with other nations. And so he moves his chosen person, Abraham, into Palestine and they live there for a while. and then of course the famine creates a problem. Um, and the animals and so forth had no pasture land to be uh, to support the family so they moved down to Egypt. Why did they move down to Egypt? It's because in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen which is a part of the fertile valleys of uh, Egypt this nation this Extended family now of Abraham, who has developed into uh, a much larger group of people, would be corralled, you might say, so that they would stay as a nation or as a f- extended family and develop. Okay, um, this by this time, of course, Abraham's son Isaac has two children, and then one of those becomes. Jacob, who has 12 sons, and from there, of course, the family develops. But it's important that we know some of this detail, and I'm cutting out a lot of it, uh, so that you understand why did God send the people to Egypt? Ah, and that was because if he allowed them to stay where they are, they would then begin to scatter out and not develop the theology, the rules that became Judaism. You know, they would all kind of go off and do their own thing. That's that's human nature. But by corralling them into an area where they couldn't move because they were surrounded uh, by water or mountains or you know various things uh they developed a, a community and began to develop their own uh laws and traditions and customs etc cetera, etc cetera. unfortunately after joseph the leader uh of the clan you might say died and some others the jewish people became sort of slaves of Egypt, and God finally felt, after praying, uh, the Jewish people praying to God and so forth, and asking for deliverance, he took them out of Egypt through the good graces of Moses. So we have two major leaders there with a few minor leaders. And next week we're going to talk about partners. The importance of God's choosing partners or certain people. Uh, In the Bible, they're generally called servants. Uh, We don't like that word today because it has a connotation of subservience and, and sort of, well, it's not very pleasant. Let's put it that way. So I prefer to call these people partners. And we'll talk more about these partners Uh, next week because each one of them is important in his own way or in her own way alright that's where Mary comes in because Mary is one of those partners that God had to have in order to keep his plan of salvation moving and the essence of all of that is that divine love uh, that's right. Yes. Uh, what Howard just mentioned was the timeline between Abraham and Moses was approximately 500 years. We're not sure, you know, down to the nth year because there weren't any calendars uh, at that time that w- w- we still recognize. All right. Uh, and at that time, there was no Jewish law. There was no uh, structure in Hebrew. Uh, or the Judaism. In fact they weren't even called Jews. In those days. Uh, the word Jew didn't come into. Uh, common usage. Until after the Babylonian. Captivity which. Was in the roughly part of the. Uh, early part of the 5th century. Or 6th century I should say. Really. Uh, so the timeline was approximately. 500 years. Interestingly enough. um Judaism, and I please don't misunderstand me, I'm not putting it down. It was very necessary uh, and a very necessary part of God's plan of salvation. But unfortunately, the Jewish people did not live up to God's expectation. But that's beside the point right now. Judaism changed significantly approximately every 500 years. Between the time of Abraham and the time of Christ. So we count approximately from uh, the time of Abraham to the time of uh, Moses. Approximately 500 years. And another 500 years from the time of Moses to the time of King David. Another important partner of God in this plan. Roughly 500 years. And then we have another not quite 500 years between the time of King David and the Babylonian captivity. That 500 years is called the time of the Jewish monarchy. And we'll get into that a little later. And then from the time of the Babylonian captivity to the time of Jesus Christ, was a little more than 500 years. So, you have these various periods of time. And if you're interested, I'll bring in a little schedule that uh, I've developed over the years to kind of lay this out. And I'll make it available next week for you. But, during these 500 years, Judaism and its... Force and its format, etc., changed significantly. As we said, in the first period, uh, from Abraham to Moses, uh, there was no structure, there was no written laws. From Moses to King David is when, of course, beginning with the Ten Commandments given to Moses the structure began to develop. All right? And the laws began to develop. Right? Even though the laws were in the process in that first 500 years, they were not written down. The writings of the Old Testament began around 10th century BC and encouraged by either King David or Solomon. We are not sure. But that is when the writings of the Old Testament came into being. Uh, And it came in the form of four different groups of people at different time periods. The first group was called the Yahwehs. They were in the southern kingdom of Judah. Because after Solomon uh, died, his son divided the kingdom back into two major uh, kingdoms because he didn't want to bother with uh, the north <coughs> excuse me uh, so we had this small group in the southern part of Israel that developed their ideas of history and the Old Testament scriptures did not start out as sacred scripture it started out as history. And if they didn't like it, they'd change it. <laughs> <laughs> then there was another group in the north called the Eloists. Eloist is a form of uh, a name of God or referring to God. All right. <clears throat> and they developed their histories. with the encouragement again of David or Solomon, we're not sure. And then there was another group in the north called the Deuteronomists. They developed the book of the law, which we call the book of Deuteronomy. And then, (coughs) interestingly enough, the book of Deuteronomy wasn't accepted by either the north or the southern people in the south. But it was kept because it was important to God's plan of salvation. So it was kept and it was concealed in the wall of the temple in Jerusalem after the northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrians and conquered and kind of wiped out for a while. All right. So the book of Deuteronomy ended up in southern kingdom of Judah but was not accepted by those people either but again because it was part of God's plan it got taken to Babylon and that is where the synagogue system of houses of prayer and study developed within Judaism in Babylon because the temple had been destroyed in Jerusalem So in Babylon, uh, they had no, uh, priests, they have no leaders, so they developed these little houses of worship, which became the synagogue system. And that was carried back to Israel once they were released, beginning in 539 BC. Okay. So you can see God's plan is going to get Accomplished whether the people like it or not. uh, And why? Because his love must flow. And he wanted ways to get his people to come back to him constantly. And that couldn't really be fulfilled through the Jewish people. Because they kept constantly were rejecting what God wanted of them. The whole idea of being the chosen people, you've all heard of that phrase before, the Jewish people were the chosen people. Well, they thought they were the chosen people because they were so great. No. They were chosen because God had a purpose for them as a family, as a community. And that was to be a light to the other nations. The other nations were referred to by the Jewish people as Gentiles. Anybody who was not a Jew was a Gentile. Didn't it make a difference what their real nationality was. You know, it was either them or Gentiles, and the whole idea of <clears throat> of God's plan was to make the Jewish people a bright, loving nation that would be shining out to other nations as being uh, something that God supported, that God was with them and helping them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. And therefore, finally, God Had to do something. And. There had to be a way. Of people coming back to him. Regardless. Of whether they were Jewish or not. And so. He brings his own son. He gives us. His own son. And. The Jewish people. Were sort of anticipating this. Because it had been prophesied. It wasn't that. Jesus showed up on the scene, you know, totally unexpected. It was how he showed up. That was unexpected. But the fact, of the idea of heaven and uh, somebody to lead them into a new promised land. And I'm saying that because once they returned from captivity in Babylon, they realized that they were never again their own sovereign rulers. And therefore they were under the, because they were under the domination of first the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. And so they began to realize that this idea of the promised land was never really going to be theirs and theirs alone. So they developed this idea that eventually they would have to get back to a new promised land. And that new promised land was going to be heaven. Now, they always knew about heaven. Remember, Moses had to go up and down the mountain several times uh, to visit with God. So they knew that God was up there somewhere. That's where we get this idea of God being up there. Well, God is really everywhere, but not up there. But that's all right. And so they knew that heaven existed. And that's where God was. But for centuries, the idea of mankind going back to heaven in one way or another was never really in their minds. They had to develop this idea after the Babylonian captivity, when they came back to Israel and they were under the domination of the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans, in that order, um, they had to realize that this was really not their land because they weren't free to do what they wanted. And so, the idea of heaven. Well, then, later, the idea of who was going to lead them like Moses did way back, who was going to lead them into this new promised land, this idea of heaven. And so that's when the idea of a Messiah was was developed. The Messiah wasn't generally called Messiah at that time. It was called the Anointed One. That was the common verbiage used To signify this leader who was going to lead them back into this new promised land. And that is the idea of how Christ fulfilled this whole idea of the Messiah. And yet the Jewish people still didn't recognize him and rejected him when it came into being. All right, the question is, can I sum up God's plan? Well, if you got another hour, you know. (laughs) God's plan of salvation is, uh, you might say, a, a blueprint of how we today can get to heaven. Okay. And that is the rules and the regulations set up through Judaism. We must give Judaism credit for its being our foundation. And all of the people that God appointed or used in that as partners were builders, you might say, of this plan that took or became fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That became the door that opened up the gates of heaven, you might say, to mankind. Because from the time of Adam and Eve's sin to the time of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, the doors of Heaven were closed because there had to be a way, uh, a sacrifice, a uh, resolution to the idea of mankind's sin. Not only from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Christ, but from the time of Christ till the end of time, there had to be a way for mankind to be uh, absolved of his sin. And therefore, the sacrifice, the divine sacrifice of Jesus Christ took the place of that repayment, you might say. All right. Now, why did Christ come to earth as a little baby and not a knight in shining armor and a great white horse? Is because he is representing Christ is representing all mankind before, during, and after his life. He is representing you and me. And he has given his divine life back to the Father in reparation for the sins of all mankind. And he has held out this gift that we can partake of his great sacrifice but under certain conditions. Remember the covenant, we'll talk more about covenant next week, the covenant between God and mankind was originally a bilateral covenant. Adam and Eve would do this or Moses, or rather, I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah would do this, and Moses would do this, and God would do that. After Christ, it became a unilateral covenant, a new and eternal covenant, which we mention every single day in every Mass, when the chalice is lifted up to the Father, saying, This is the blood of the new and eternal covenant. Meaning that this is the one and only now. And it is a unilateral covenant. This is the way it is, folks. You can take it or you can leave it. But you must abide by the consequences. Now, that's a long way around of answering your question. But the subject is so large... That it can't be answered in a few words. Does that help you? Okay. Any other questions? Well, I hope you got something out of this today. Okay. The purpose, again, of all this detail is really to be a foundation, you might say. Or a renewal of things that you may have her bits and pieces of, and hopefully put them together. And we will go through and come back to a lot of these subjects as we bring Mary into the conversation, or into the lecture here. Because Mary fits in very well. Now, she is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament. Coincidentally, I just learned the other day that in the Quran, the Quran of the Islamic people, Mary is the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran. Interesting. The only woman mentioned by name is Mary. But in the Jewish writings, the Jewish scriptures, Mary is not mentioned by name, but she is what we call prefigured as an important person in the Old Testament. St. Augustine tells us that the New Testament is buried within the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed through the New Testament. Kind of an interesting uh, play on words. Uh, But I've seen that over and over. Yes, ma'am. Yes, a very important part. She is not mentioned by name, but she is prefigured. Yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, yes. The question was why do non many non Catholics not recognize or uh, have any devotions to Mary? non Catholic Christians. Christians. Yes, you're right. You're right. Non Catholic Christians. <coughs> rule the reason started with uh, Martin Luther and his followers when Martin Luther and his followers broke away from the Catholic Church in the 15th century 16th century really uh, they did away with a lot of things that were Catholic all right and so they did away with the image of the cross they did away with kneeler's Uh, in churches, in their churches. They did away with some of the prayers. And one of the things that they did away with was devotion to Mary because they felt that it was taking away from attention and devotion to Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, many of them have begun to come back. Now, let me give you a little background on Scott Hahn. He was a Presbyterian minister. and <laughs> at, at one point in his ministry as a Presbyterian minister, he tried to put down any devotion by his uh, community uh, to, to Mary. And he started to investigate all of the reasons why we should not, or his people should not have any devotion or attention given to Mary. And the more he studied, the more he was convinced the opposite. Okay? And to make a long story short, eventually he became a Catholic even though he was adamant. I've met him. I've met him. I've spent some time talking to him. I I had to introduce him uh, to a large 10 or 20,000 people at, at the Anaheim Convention Center years ago uh, where he was the guest speaker and I was the emcee. Uh, and he was very proud of the fact that at one time he was very adamant against Catholics and now he are one, as they say. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, when I got ready to leave the Lutheran Church to come to the Catholic Church, she says, are you getting married, or are you just joining the church? And I says, well, I'm going to become a Catholic and learn more. And she says, oh, well, all right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, the interesting part about it there uh, is that his father-in-law, his wife's, Kimberly's, uh, his wife's uh, father, was also a Presbyterian minister. And for many years, she would not join Scott because of that. He wrote a whole book on his uh, conversion. And he's written several books. This is about the 10th book or 12th book now that he's written. Uh, But now he is the professor of theology at Steubenville, Steubenville, Uh, university, uh, the Franciscan University at Steubenville in Ohio. Okay. Uh, like I said, I met him. He's a very uh, easygoing person, very knowledgeable, uh, very articulate, uh, uh, but very demanding as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, yeah. and that information that the National Geographic magazine last month. Oh! Because we they are, they are mostly anti-Catholic and anti-Christian. But oh. The most I have it at home. It the good, yeah. good. Well, the thing is, there was again, if he be sharing, that was not the same matter, then he said, it's a
1: cult. So...
0: Oh, the cult? Well, the word cult is not... It is not derogatory. The word cult means a group of people dedicated to a given idea. What you're confusing it with is the word occult, which is just the opposite. Yes, which is just the opposite. Occult is is bad. (laughs) Cult is, well, neutral, really. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else have a question back there? Yes yes oh she's curious about my background (laughs) I don't think you'd really want to know (laughs) now I've been teaching uh, this is my 19th year here at St. Clair of teaching the Bible study program and I taught uh, about the same amount of time at three other parishes in Southern California. I was in the seminary many, many, many years ago. I always say the last century, the last millennium. <laughs> um, uh, but I kept up a lot of the studies and wanted to share them with other people. And I got started through the Charismatic Renewal program that was quite prominent uh, in the 60s and 70s uh, and has a great devotion to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Does that help? Yeah. I was not a priest or a minister or a deacon. Yeah. I was a banker, you might say. <laughs> okay. All right. Any other questions? All right. Again, I hope you will enjoy the, this class and I wanted to be a fun class as well. I take the Bible extremely serious and the subject of Mary very serious but there is no reason why we can't have a good time in studying and sharing our uh, thoughts and opinions. Okay. Let's end with a prayer. Oh. Well, excuse me. Uh, some of the people might not be familiar with your sheet about Oh yes, yes. Thank you. In your handout you have the schedule of today's agenda. And on the back of that, you have the home reading assignment in preparation for our meeting next week. So please refer to that and try to read the biblical passages that are recommended here because they will come into play in our uh, course next week. Thank you. Yes. All right. And registration for this class will take place. Uh, there will be some ladies up here at the table, and they will help you. There will be no book. I felt that this book, even though it cost $15, and no, I think it's 1350 at Amazon, 15 at Borders. Um, it was okay, uh, but we'll give you the essence of that as we go along, along with the VD- DVDs that I do have, and we will be playing them, uh, periodically in these, uh, classes. Uh, they will not be the sole source of information. Because I feel that they are lacking in, in some things. But we'll talk more about that next week. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We ask your blessing on our efforts as we go forward. Studying not only God's plan of salvation, your plan of salvation. But Mary's role in it. And how we also have a role in this plan. And each of us must spend time with you in prayer to discover what our role is and how we can fulfill it. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things in Jesus' name.